Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. We thank you that we are your children. And as your children, God, we don't have to beg for the things that you have for us. We don't have to strive for the things that you have for us, God, but we can rest in your finished work. So Lord, I pray that this song can be the prayer of our hearts, that we have nothing to fear, God, because you defeated fear on the cross. We can rest in you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that is struggling with fear, for everyone that is struggling with anxiety or stress, God, that you begin to bring relief and allow us to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. Because as your children, we can benefit from everything that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Church, can we put our hands together for for God and for everything that he's doing here today? Come on, let's dig a little bit deeper. Can we put our hands together for for the word of God, the presence of God, and everything that he's doing here today. We are so, so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us uh, today. As you're taking your seats, would you mind just with a social distance safe way, welcoming someone around you and welcoming them out to Celebration Church. We're so, so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We're so, so glad that you're here with us today. I'm excited today. I'm really excited about today's message and, and, and worship was incredible. In fact, can we give it up for our worship team that leads us faithfully every single week? Thank you guys so much for ushering us into the presence of God. It is such a, it is such a powerful moment. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If it's your first time here, we want to welcome you and, and, and let you know that if there's anything that we could do for you and your family, please don't, don't hesitate to let us know. I know Pastor Mike mentioned it earlier, but, but you can text the word CONNECT to 25101 and we would love to come alongside you. If you have any prayer requests or even some things that you want to share and celebrate of what God has been doing in you and through you and things that you've witnessed, please share it with us. We would love to celebrate with every single one of us. We'd love to hear about the activity of God in our community. You know, today we're going to be continuing in on our Exiles series. And, and it's really, in my opinion, been very, a, a very timely series because it's been allowing us to, to really get proper perspective. Perspective and recognizing that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible tells us, while it's important for us to, to pray for where we are, Jeremiah 29 instructs us to, to pray because as the, as the world we live in thrives, so do we thrive because we're in this world. But we're not to lose sight of the fact that we're not of this world. Don't lose sight of the fact that we are called to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And some of those passages that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks, and if you missed any of the series, I want to invite you to go back and check it out. These do build on one another. But, but the, one of the primary passages we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks is Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20, where it says that our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is reminding us that we're citizens of the kingdom of God and for us not to be distracted by the empire or the things of this world. I think our theme scripture has been in Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8, where it simply talks about how Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, that Daniel knew how to draw the line. He understood that, that I'm in this world, I'm in this Babylonian system, but he knew how to create boundaries to ensure that he didn't lose sight of how God had called him to function and to live. 
So as we step into today's message in Daniel chapter 6, I want to I give you some context as to what has happened um, since the last time we gathered last week. Since the last time we've gathered, we actually have seen a couple of different regime changes that initially you've heard us talk for the past couple of weeks about, about Nebuchadnezzar, about Babylon, and just how oppressive and destructive that it is. And that, and that very much is true. But there's another element that I believe that is subtly introduced. We last kind of hear about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. That kind of concludes his journey. And then we get into Daniel chapter 5 where a new king comes on the scene, Belshazzar. He comes on the scene and then his journey is really short. It's only one chapter. And then we actually are introduced to who we're going to hear about today, a man named Darius. But here's the thing I want you to recognize in all of this stuff, because we're talking about Daniel and the life that he lived and how God had given him so much favor and influence and impact everywhere that he went. But did you hear what I said? That he served under Nebuchadnezzar, he served under Belshazzar, that he served under Darius and yet he was still favored. Did you hear me? That no matter who was in leadership, Daniel still had favor because the king was still on the throne. As we're we're entering into a very hotly contested um, political season, I understand the weightiness of it. I understand the importance of us praying and seeing things put into place that we're very passionate about. But, But let me say it to us plainly. It doesn't matter who's in the White House because Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And as long as we truly believe that as the people of God, that Jesus is on the throne, it helps us to have peace in this. The kingdom of God does not need the empire's permission to function. That the things of God are going to still move forward the way that it always had intended to be. And I believe that Daniel's life is a perfect example of what it looks like when things change, but God remains the same and we can have peace in the midst of all of that. Starting here at verse number three, it beautifully sets the tone where it says that Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators, the satraps, because he had an extraordinary spirit. Other translations said he had an excellent spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm, promotion, and the administrators and the satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. That means that even while Daniel was living in this broken world, that he still functioned with excellence, even in the context of the empire, which is a result of why he was able to get a promotion. Hear what I'm saying. It doesn't matter who your boss is, promotion comes from above. And if we can live a life that is dedicated to the kingdom, wouldn't it be great for people to say when they look at you, like, there's no false charge I can put against that person. I can gossip, I can yell all the drama, but at the end of the day, they function with excellence. There's, there's no charge that I could put against them. That was literally the testimony of the people that opposed Daniel. So these men, they said, we will never find a charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. They knew so deeply that Daniel was a man of conviction that he would not compromise in his faith. They said, the only way we could trip Daniel up is if we find a way to trip him up regarding his faith. So the administrators, the satraps went together to the king and they said to him, make King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors and the governors have all agreed that king, you should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for 30 days. Anyone that petitions any God or man except for you, the king shall be thrown into the lion's den. In other words, they went to the king and said, everything needs to flow through you. And anything that doesn't flow through you, it's going to risk the the opportunity for, for judgment and ridicule. They were elevating man above God. Everything has to flow through you, king. That's the only way it's going to function. They were playing into the king's ego. And so the king's response was like, therefore, your majesty, let's establish this this edict, this document that the laws of the Medes and the Persian is irrevocable and it cannot be changed. So the king Darius signed the written act. 
When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. I believe we're going to look at some things in the life of Daniel to show us how he was able to function in this broken world, but still thrive with kingdom excellence. And I believe it's because Daniel had a very powerful, potent prayer life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to come together to worship in your presence. Father, I pray over the next few moments that you give us open eyes that we can see you, open hearts to receive everything that you have for us, God and open ears to hear your word as it's spoken to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Many of you guys have been, that have been following along with us over the past couple of weeks have, have kind of heard me share a little bit of, of our journey over the past couple of weeks. And last week we talked a little bit about what it means to be under the influence. And, and we've all have fallen victim of being under the influence. And I, I gave you this guys this example, how I said that I would never, ever, ever buy me another iPhone because I know what Apple's trying to do by causing my iPhone to slow down. Every time a new iPhone comes out, I'm never going to do it. And then as soon as a new iPhone came out, I got me a new iPhone. We're all under, we're all under the influence of some things. So what do you do when you, when you get a new iPhone? Well, of course, you're now trapped into this ecosystem. You're on a hamster wheel, so now I need to go get me a new iPhone case. And, and this is a journey that I, that I honestly enjoy doing. It's been a while since I've had to go and shop for new iPhone cases because for me, iPhone case is like a, it's like a relationship. It's an expression of your character and your personality. I have different cases to match different outfits and different watch bands. It's a whole thing that I have going on. So I was excited to begin this journey to find the appropriate case that I felt was a great reflection of my personality and character. I was looking online and wasn't having much success. So I went into the store to go and find me the perfect iPhone case. It was like this moment that I feel like it resonated in my soul. So I'm walking in the store. I'm walking down the aisle and, and, and I have my mask on and there's a young lady in the aisle with me and she has her mask on as well. And so we see each other and we kind of greet each other. And you know, nowadays that we all have masks on, it's, it's so hard to tell if someone's looking at you or someone's smiling at you. So you got you to gotta smile extra hard so that people can see it in your eyes. It's called smiles. You got to smile with your eyes. Like people got to see that you're happy. It's kind of like like you can't see me smiling, but you can see it in my eyes. And so we had that moment where we smiled at one another. My eyes were smiling. Her eyes were smiling. We greeted one another. Everything was really good. And so as I'm standing in the aisle and she's kind of a couple of feet away from me, I see the perfect iPhone case. It begins to speak to me. I feel like, I feel like, I don't know about y'all, but the Lord speaks to me in many ways. And one of the ways he speaks to me is whenever I can get drip. Shoes, iPhone case, those are things that I hear clearly from the Lord. I'm telling you, retail shopping is ministry in my book. So I'm, I'm looking, I see this case and I'm like, this, this is the one that's for me. I, I look over at her, and, and, and while I recognize that we're not necessarily within six feet of distance, we got our mask on, it's probably about three feet away. She's standing over there. I kind of look at her to let her know, like, hey, I'm, I'm about to go in. I'm going to grab this case, and I'm, I'm going to get out the way. She kind of looks at me, gives me the nod of approval. I go, and I grab the case. I pick it up, and I begin to examine it. The next thing that I hear was incredibly shocking because she says to me, I can't believe how inconsiderate you are. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, yo, like, this is, this is crazy. And the next thing she says is, like, you knew that I wanted that one, and I can't believe you took it. So, like, I have this moment where I'm like, yo, like, is this my Karen moment? <laughs> like, 
Is, is this that, is that, is this my, I've seen it, I've seen it on the internet. I've seen, I've seen people go viral. Like, should I get my phone out and prepare to record this moment of when Karen's attacked? So I'm about to get my phone and I, and I, and I look over and I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the iPhone cases and I'm like, there's like 20 of the exact, of the exact same cases that are there. So I, I didn't understand why she was so up in arms about it. I didn't understand why she was so frustrated. So my response, because remember, I'm still, I'm still a pastor in these streets. So I'm still trying to make sure I don't lose my witness. Cause I mean, there's another side of me, the, the old school Philly side of me is like, you know, I mean, whatever, but, but I'm trying, I'm trying to maintain my, 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 my faith and my salvation. I don't know who's watching these cameras. They might be like, oh, he's a pastor of a church, but he, he took a phone from a girl and that like, I don't need that. I don't need those problems. So I'm trying my best to, to maintain my focus. And so I just kind of glance over. I'm like, Hey, like there's, there's more cases there. And she looks over at me. I'm like, Hey, there's more cases there. I didn't take the last one. Again, I'm, I'm trying to be generous. And so she's like, what? I was like, there's, there's more cases there. This isn't the last one. And then she kind of like recognizes that I'm talking to her and she's like, oh, and then she gestures and moves her hair and shows me that she's been on the phone with someone else the entire time. <laughs> Turns out she wasn't even talking to me. She, she, had, she had on a headset, like the, you know, like the little AirPods. I didn't see it. The whole time I, I thought she was talking to me because she was having a full-fledged conversation. Turns out she was talking to her sister and her sister took the last pizza pizza. How inconsiderate it was of you to take that last pizza pizza you knew that's what I wanted. The timing of it, it couldn't be any better because she was having this full, angry, passionate conversation at the exact same moment that I took the case that she was looking at. She was so confident. And I guess I didn't consider that she could have been talking to someone else because I'm not really like a full conversation dude and public guy. Like, we all like know people that are like having full conversations when they're in public. I, I've never been that person, like when I'm on a cell phone, that I'm just openly talking in front of everybody. Like for me, like my family and I, we were standing in line um, to go voting. And while we were standing in line, there was a guy behind us and he was having a full conversation. I mean, like a full-fledged conversation. I know everything about his family. I know about the next moves that he needs to make at his, at his office. I knew everything. There was even a moment where he was talking about how he may have to let go of one of his employees. I just felt like, hey man, just give him a chance. Like, just give him another, like I just, I just I, wanna, I wanted to intercede for the poor guy. Like, he had no idea that this guy standing in line just airing it all out in front of everybody. I'm like, hey, man, like, just give him a chance. Like, you know, the pastor, part of me, it, I never have any days off. Because I, I find that, it, like, for me, it's crazy when I'm like, man, like, you're just having a full conversation and you don't care about what it looks because you know that you're connected and that someone's listening on the other side. It's amazing how confident we can be that even if people are looking in and they don't understand who we're talking to, but when we know that we're connected and that someone is listening on the other side, it gives us the ability to speak with boldness. You see, when I think about what it means for us to be people of prayer, more often than not, we can often feel like the people like myself who are observing people who are talking about praying and we're like, but is, any, is anybody actually listening? It, what's, what's happening on, on the other side of that? But when you are a people that are knowing what it feels like to be in conversation with God, you're not concerned about how it looks because you know you're being connected and you're talking to someone on the other side. See, that's, that's the power of prayer. That's the life that Daniel actually lived. He lived a life of prayer and he wasn't concerned about other people watching him. He just knew that he was connected and that he was listening when he was listening on the other side. I believe that's what God compels and calls all of us to do, to be people that know how to pray. But if I can be honest with you, of all the different spiritual disciplines, that can often be the one that we struggle with the most. 
Like we, we often can see the results of other disciplines that we put into practice. Like we can see the results like, okay, if I get up and I do my Devo every single day, I read the word, I'm doing my best to put it into practice. You begin to learn things, you grow, you expand, you, you begin to get a heightened awareness. There's a result that you can see almost immediately. We, often, we also know that if I'm, if I'm generous, I understand that if I'm, I'm beneficiary of people's generosity and I can also be generous. We know that we have those moments where we can see the benefit of our generosity. We, we even know that when we come into environments like this and we worship, that for some that this may be our first time in service and for so long and so us being together in worship and community, we, we, we immediately feel filled and strengthened from that. My family and I, we were listening to worship music on our way to church today and, and I'm feeling it. It just, it immediately fills you up. We see the results of these things. However, when it comes to prayer, prayer always seems to be the outlier because that's the one where you're like, okay, is it, is it working? Am, am I doing it right? What happens if I pray and I hear nothing? What, what happens if I pray and I don't get my prayer answered? Like, do I have to pray a certain formula? If, if I don't say in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer, is God out? Like, everything was going good until I, until I said amen and didn't say in Jesus' name. So Jesus like, hey man, I was with you until you didn't say my name. Like, what does it mean to be a person of prayer? What is the rhythm that I need to employ? Is there a certain methodology in order for us to do it? And while I don't think that we can necessarily answer and satisfy all of that today, I do want to give us some perspective on the power and practicality of prayer. You see, prayer is one of those things where it's ultimately, it's a conversation with God. It's a conversation with God. It's, it's taking the monologue that's in your mind, the monologue that's in your heart, and it's creating a dialogue with God. That's ultimately what prayer is, which means that when we look in the Bible and we see people that go to God in prayer or go to God in conversation, it can be viewed as an expression of prayer. And when you look at scripture, you see that people brought all kinds of things into the presence of God. People brought all types of conversations to Jesus. Sometimes it was a conversation that needed clarity. Sometimes it was a conversation that was meant to express fear. Sometimes it was a request. Sometimes it was just inviting him into the process. What I want us to see is that when we pray, it's inviting Jesus into the conversation with us because we're having that conversation with someone. And sometimes we're having that conversation with a friend. Sometimes we're having that conversation in our own minds, but what prayer does, it allows us to invite God into the conversation. You see, when we think about what are, the, what are some ingredients that help us to have a healthy relationship? We all could probably scream out different things, but at some point, we're going to talk about communication. Why is communication so important? Because it allows us to interact. It allows us to learn and grow. This is why when people are getting to know each other, when we're in that dating season, you can sit on the phone with someone for hours. We're engaging. We're learning one another. We're exploring one another. And we're having the, the little fun exchange. Okay, you hang up. No, you hang up first. And you can do, you can do all that stuff. I'm not sure about this audience. Like, I know for Megan and I, we're a little bit older. Like, we would, we would fall asleep on the phone. And it would, you, you showed your true love based on who could hold out the longest. It was like, it was like a stare down. But it, it, was, a, it was an expression. We're going to just continue to communicate and see who can hold this thing out. We know that communication is so incredibly important. However, when it comes to the things of God, that can often be the place that we communicate the least. We can find ourselves talking to everyone else, but we very rarely consistently find ourselves talking to God because we don't know if it's working. We don't know the results. We don't know how that should look. And I just want to encourage some of us. It's all of the above. People have asked questions like, man, does my prayers really matter? Yes, they do. Does, does my prayers move the hand of God? All these things, isn't God sovereign? He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. But I just want to encourage you, invite God into the conversation with you. Me and my family, we try our best to pray about everything. Not in a weird way, but some prayers are long. Some prayers are short. Some prayers could be more detailed. Some prayers are vague. There are seasons that I've gone through and my prayer has simply been, Lord, help. 
There have been other seasons I've gone through where I'm like, Lord, I don't have clarity on this. There's other seasons where we pray in a little bit more detail. The Bible just simply says, invite God into the conversation. And I often believe that sometimes we can feel intimidated to pray because we hear someone who may have all the flowing words, all the vocabulary. They're in certain scriptures everywhere along the lines. And we can feel like I'm not, I'm not equipped to pray. And I think that that's a tool that the enemy uses to keep us from going boldly before the throne of grace. Invite God into the conversation. And whatever way it comes out, it's all about inviting God into the conversation. It takes what's going on in your head and your heart, and it invites God into the process. This is why I love Daniel, because Daniel is a man of prayer. That Daniel was a person who regularly invited God into the process of everything that he faced. I want us to look at a couple of things that takes place. That when Daniel is faced with resistance, the first thing that he did is he prayed. He, he, didn't, he didn't call his friends up. He didn't, he didn't text everybody that he knew. That the moment that Daniel began to face resistance, that his first response was to pray. And I believe that it's an invitation for us that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you encounter, no matter what the obstacle may be, that our first response should be prayer and not the last resort. That we should be people that take it to God first. Let's let's unpack this for for just a moment. The Bible says that, that Daniel receives notification that he was not going to be allowed to pray for the next 30 days. Now, that, that sounds very odd. That sounds, that sounds weird. So let me, let me try to contextualize it in a way that it makes sense for us. In other words, it was saying that Daniel could not engage the things of God for the next 30 days. That's almost like you can never make it to church because your schedule won't allow it. That means that you're facing obstacle things that you can imagine that allow you to worship God. Those barriers are right in front of you. So Daniel hears about the fact that a law was created that was meant to keep him from praying, but he prayed anyway. Hear what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what law that they create. It doesn't matter what they did. They could take prayer out of the the culture, but they can't take it out of your heart. They can can pass whatever law that they want, but it's not going to change the way that God wants to advance his kingdom. And so what Daniel decided to do is that he went home and he prayed. He didn't go to the club. He didn't go to the bar. He went home and he prayed. In other words, Daniel said, I need to go and talk to God before I deal with man. I need to have a place where I can talk with God before I deal with man because sometimes it's so hard to hear from God when we have a live studio audience in our ears. We have so many other voices and so many other perspectives that can begin to dilute our ability to clearly hear from God. But Daniel went home and he prayed. I believe that Daniel recognized that that private prayer equals public power. That private prayer can translate into public power. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, Jesus is advising his followers. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That private prayer equals public power. That prayer is the place where information gets turned into revelation. That when I, when I got some information about whatever's going on, prayer is the place that that information gets turned into revelation. I remember when my mom was an infant, she was about three months old, and the doctors had given her up to die. She actually had like this rare skin disorder, and the doctors didn't know what to do with it. And so their, their recommendation for my grandfather and my grandmother is they said, just take her home and let her die. That was, that was their statement to her. That was their statement to her, to her mother, her father. And so now they had a decision to make. We can either receive the report from the doctors and the experts and just let it run its course or I could actually take this home and pray about it. 
See, I think the reason why sometimes we don't necessarily have good homes because we're not praying in our homes. We're not bringing God into our homes. What my grandfather did is that he took my mother home and he began to recite James chapter 5, 14, where it says, if anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. In other words, instead of going home and complaining, instead of going home and being frustrated, instead of going home and exclusively being disappointed, they went home and they prayed. Spoiler alert, I'm here, which means that my mom is still here and she just celebrated her birthday two days ago. It's amazing what can happen when we begin to be people of prayer and we're praying instead of just receiving the information that the adversary sets before us. Daniel, he went home and he prayed. You know, with our new technology, whenever we go into the search feature, it'll often show us what are the things that we search for most frequently. In fact, I, I've noticed that whenever I grab my phone now, it'll actually tell me, based on a time of day, that this is typically the app that you go to. It's kind of cool, a little bit scary, but nonetheless, it's cool that they know, like, hey, typically at this time of day, this is the app that you're normally engaging. First thing in the morning, you may be looking at this. You may be looking at your bank account. You may, be, you may be looking at the news. You may be looking at some things. And, and all that stuff is, is helpful. But, but watch this. Let's take this a step further. What if, we, what if we were able to diagnosis, get a diagnosis of our soul? When we're searching for something, what's the first thing that pops up? Is it our friends? When I'm searching for answers, am I looking at social media? When I'm searching for answers, am I looking to the news? Or if I was to do inventory of my soul, the first thing that would pop up would actually be God. I believe it's an opportunity for us to reevaluate the way that we engage things and say, I'm not going to let this information drag me down. I'm actually going to take this information into the presence of God and allow it to turn into a revelation of how good our God is. This is what happens when you live a life of prayer. See, I, I recognize that, that prayer has the ability to change the atmosphere. It really does. It has the ability to change the atmosphere. Did you know in scripture that on multiple occasions, it refers to prayer as a fragrance? It refers to prayer as a fragrance. And in Revelations chapter 8, verse number 4, it says that the smoke of the incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Psalm 141 and 2, it says this. It says, my, may my prayer be set before you as incense. We see this place where prayer is often alluded as a fragrance, as incense. I mean, think about that for a moment. That's a powerful image that God wants to make sure that we capture, is that prayer can be a fragrance. Because when you think about it, fragrance is a powerful thing. Fragrance communicates a whole lot. It, it really does set the tone. Like prayer can be a very, very powerful thing. It can be very overwhelming when we think about when we think about aroma, when we think about smells. Like we all have been in a place where you can smell the person before they show up. They went a little bit heavy on the cologne or the perfume. You can smell them before they show up, and you can certainly smell them after they're gone. Like, aroma has the ability to change the atmosphere completely. I, I remember when my son, Keith Jr., he was trying to get into that age where he was in high school, and he began to try to channel his, his inner swag. And so what he began to do is that we made the dreadful mistake of buying him Axe body spray. We bought him some Axe body spray, and it seemed as if he would use the entire can in a period of like, like maybe two days. And so every morning around 6 o'clock when he was about to go to school, he would spray this entire stuff on him. Me and Megan would be in our room sleep with the door closed, and this, like, this smell would work its way underneath, of the, underneath the door. It would like attach itself to us, and it was like, it just gets in. You ever smell something that feels like you can taste it? It's just, it's just 
it's just everywhere. Like that's how powerful aroma is. We we know those people that go a little bit strong on, on the aroma sometimes, but 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 continue to let's express this. I actually have a friend of mine that's a realtor, and one of the things that realtors will often do when they're trying to sell a home is they'll have other fragrances in the home in an effort that when you walk in, it can like, man. I feel a great sense of peace. I could imagine myself living here. It's, it's giving you aromas that's meant to, to change the atmosphere. You can walk into a house that you're not even crazy about. It's okay, but when you smell certain smells that may remind you of your grandmother, that may remind you of comfort, it's like, you know what? I could see myself living here because, because aroma has the ability to change the atmosphere. It can change everything up whenever you get into an environment that has certain smells. We smell good food sometimes. You, you could be in the middle of a fast, and all of a sudden, you could smell every single type of food there is is known to man. It starts having you desiring things that you would never eat, such as Taco Bell. Um, it, could, it, could have you, it could have you stirring up and have a desire for things that you would never eat because the aroma has the ability to change the atmosphere. But I think it's interesting that when we know how powerful aroma is, how it has the ability to change and set the atmosphere, that the scripture says the same thing about when we spend time with God. What if, what if I were to tell you that when we spend time in the presence of God or prayer, we actually walk away smelling like Jesus? That the more that I spend time in the presence of God with prayer, that I actually walk away smelling like Christ. Paul tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 2.15, that we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What Paul is ultimately saying is that whenever someone lives a life of prayer, when someone lives in covenant relationship with Jesus, that it's a testimony and a, rec- a point of identification for those who are saved, and it's a testimony for those who are not. In other words, it has the ability to change the atmosphere. You all know the person that when they walk into a room, they change the atmosphere because they're walking in with joy. You know the person that walks into a situation, and no matter what the negative news or what the negative report is, they have a different perspective on it. They have the ability to change the atmosphere. This is the power of prayer, that when we spend time in the presence of God, we can walk into environments that other people will identify as being broken or toxic, but because I spent time with Jesus, I see it a little bit differently. I have a different perspective. I have the ability to recognize joy in the midst of this suffering. I can have peace even in the midst of chaos because I spent time in the presence of God with prayer. This is why I believe that the enemy hates when we pray, because another thing that aroma does, aroma is connected to our memory, and I believe that whenever we pray, that it reminds the enemy of the defeat that he took over 2,000 years ago because we end up walking away smelling like Jesus. Jesus was anointed with a year's worth of wages before he died on the cross. A year's worth. I just bought some new cologne yesterday, $40. Now, imagine that multiplied for a year's worth and all of that dumped on Jesus. That meant that's a lot. Everywhere Jesus went, you could smell him. That means that even when he was with his disciples, you could smell him. That when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, hoping that he didn't have to die, you could smell him. That when he was arrested illegally, you could smell him. That when his beard was being ripped out, you could smell him. Everywhere Jesus went, you could still smell the anointing on his life. That means that even when he went to the cross, that they could smell the anointing on his life. And I truly believe that's meant to be a message for us, that when we spend time in the presence of God of prayer, that people can still smell the anointing on your life. That means that even when I'm going through hardship, you can still smell that I'm anointed. That even when I'm dealing with disappointment, you can still smell that I'm anointed. That even when we're dealing with divorce, you can still smell that I'm anointed. That even when I lose my job, you can still smell that I'm anointed. It's when we are people of prayer that the fragrance of Christ goes with us and we have the ability to change the atmosphere everywhere that we go because we are the fragrance of Christ. And no matter what happens, you are still anointed. I have one point for us, just one point alone. 
And, and I, I, want you to, I want you to write this down. I want you to get it embedded in your spirit. It's going to be the most provocative words you're ever going to hear. It's profoundly complex, but I think we can get it if we listen hard enough. Here's the point. Y'all ready? Lean in. Pray about it. Pray about it. That's it. We're done. We can leave now. I, I want us to be people that we know to pray about it. I don't know what the it is that you need to pray about, but pray about it. Daniel was facing opposition and his response was to pray about it. I'm a firm believer because I know it's easy for me to drift into this place that I can overthink and underpray. I can think about it, but have I prayed about it? I can analyze about it, but have I prayed about it? I can Google search about it, but have I prayed about it? I can talk to everybody else about it, but have I prayed about it? What Daniel shows us is that he's a person that says, let's pray about it. Because here's what I believe happens when we pray about it. Prayer provides perspective. Prayer provides perspective. Let me say that one more time. Prayer provides perspective. For Daniel, when he went into his home, the Bible says that he went up to the second floor and that he prayed towards Jerusalem. It was an open window. Let me, let me unpack that for a moment. That Daniel was on the ground floor and he was given this negative information. That he was given this negative report that he's not allowed to pray. But what he did is he had to elevate himself. He had to rise above the situation. There's some times that we're so close to the messiness that we can't see beyond it, but prayer allows us to elevate our perspective to see beyond the mess that we're in, and we can get a better picture of what God wants to do. This is why he prayed towards Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was an image of the promises of God, that even though I am in this place of bondage and brokenness, I can elevate my perspective, and I can still see the promises of God. This is why the enemy hates when we're people of prayer, because he wants us to be so locked in at the ground level that he doesn't want us to elevate ourselves and see something much bigger than right now. I may be in a situation right now but God's not done with me yet. My marriage may be struggling right now, but I got another perspective on it. I can see Jesus moving in the midst of it. What prayer does, it allows us to elevate ourselves above what we're facing, and it gives us a kingdom perspective. It allows us to see things the way that God would have us to see. It allows us to see Jesus. It allows us to put our eyes on Jesus. This is what prayer allows us to do. Daniel went upstairs. He elevated his perspective. He looked out towards Jerusalem and was reminded of the promises of God. Scripture tells us that after he prayed, that, that the haters, the one who actually tried to find a reason to, to tear Daniel down, they must have been listening. They must have been eavesdropping. They were somewhere in the vicinity, so they go back to the king and they say, listen, you passed this law, and remember, you passed this law that can't be broken, and Daniel broke the law, so the consequence is that he, that he has to go into the lion's den. Now, this was weighty for Darius, because the king had a great deal of respect for Daniel. Daniel had a record that transcended all the other kings, so he knew that, man, like, this is a good man. This is a man that I know that hears from his God. Like, I trust him, and now I'm in this position where I've been kind of backed into a corner where I've actually got to kill this man that I respect. So Darius was very heartbroken about this. And so what happens here is that Daniel is enthroned into the lion's den, but actually Darius goes home and he actually ends up fasting and praying. Like he's like, man, like I, I know that I'm the one who put him in his position as a result of being deceived by the people around me, but man, I, 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 hope, I hope he can survive this. Darius didn't want Daniel, he didn't want him to die. The Bible tells us how Darius rolled a, a stone over top of the lion's den and he sealed it. The seal was, was meant to say that this law can't be broken, that nothing can do that can change the fate of Daniel, that it's a done deal, it's, it's sealed in. Daniel's in there and he's, he's in his room where, where the lions were, were more than likely starved. 
So that way when they see Daniel, they, they, don't, they don't just see him as a, as, a, as a mammal that's in the environment. They're looking at him as food. They wanted to make sure there was no opportunity of survival. So now Daniel was standing on this, this residue of the sticky floor that was met with the blood of other people who were in the exact same spot, but they didn't survive it. That, that Daniel's in this space where he can see the decaying bones and the remains of other people who somehow crossed the king and now they're in this place of judgment. That is the, that is the image that, that Daniel was seeing. Can you imagine the stench that is in this room, the aroma of death is all around him and he has this ferocious beast that's in front of him. And there's nothing that can be changed because it was sealed. That word sealed is really interesting to me though because it's, it's the same word that was, that was used to talk about how when Lazarus died that his tomb was sealed shut, that there's no chance of, of, of life, that you're dead and it's a done deal. It, it reminds me of, of when Jesus died and they put him inside of his grave and they said that the tomb was rolled over top of it and it was sealed shut to make sure that there was no escape. But interestingly enough, it also reminds me of what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one, where it says that we are sealed by Christ. Please understand something. The enemy can't seal your fate because you're sealed by Christ. That no matter where you may find yourself, that you are sealed by the things of God. And so you may be sealed into some environments that the enemy wants to keep you from having any opportunity of moving forward. But what I recognize in the Bible that I read, that they tried to seal Lazarus in and he came forth. They tried to seal Jesus in and he came out. I don't know what you're sealed in right now, but you're sealed in the things of God. And no matter what the enemy tries to do, he can't seal your fate because you're sealed by Christ. And when you carry the seal of Christ, that means you carry the seal of victory. Scripture tells us that uh, as the night went on, the next morning that Darius wakes up and that he, and that he comes out and he's like, Daniel, are, are you in there? And I'm telling you guys, like this, this response that Daniel gives is so powerful because Daniel says these words, he says, King, the God that I serve, he sent his messenger to shut the lion's mouth. King, the God that I serve, sent a messenger to shut the lion's mouth. That means that the lion was trying to get at Daniel, but he couldn't. That the messenger had shut the lion's mouth. Let's take this further. We know that messengers communicate the word of God. So let's look at it this way, that God sent a word to shut the enemy's mouth. Let's take it a step further. Jesus is referred to as the word of God. So God sent Jesus to shut the enemy's mouth. Let me help you understand it. That maybe right now you're feeling like you're in the lion's den and that the adversary is roaring as loud as he can. But the Bible doesn't say that he is a roaring lion. It said that he's like a roaring lion. That means that he's been defeated over 2,000 years ago. That even though he may look intimidating, that even though it may look as if he can defeat you, but in fact, the matter is that Jesus defeated him over 2,000 years ago, that he is a harmless and defanged foe. It reminds me of several years ago when I went over to my friend's house. He had a huge St. Bernard dog. I went into the backyard. He didn't tell me to go into the backyard and I saw what I consider to be this giant bear looking dog chasing down after me. I knew I couldn't get out of it so I just stood there and I just said, oh Jesus, because I really thought that my life was over. You ever have those moments when like your life flashed between before your eyes? It wasn't that impressive. I had more work to do. Like I was standing there and I was like, man, like, oh Jesus. I closed my eyes and I opened them back up. 
and the dog was just sitting there with his tail wagging. I didn't realize that he had been so domesticated and so watered down that he wasn't ferocious anymore. He looked intimidating. He looked ferocious. He looked like he could tear me apart, but my friend had already trained him to simply be what looks like a guard dog, but he actually was a pussycat. Here's what I want you to understand. It's only prayer that could turn a predator into a pet. That's the only thing that I want to make sure that you understand. It's only when we live a life of prayer, it could turn a predator into a pet. And I'm not sure what the enemy is roaring in your ear right now, but just like my friend's dog and just like the adversary who is roaring in our ears, that God sent the enemy a, a message from Jesus to shut the enemy's mouth. So when the enemy is roaring condemnation, the word of God has shut his mouth. When the enemy is roaring defeat, the God sent Jesus to shut his mouth. And the word and the way that Jesus was able to do it is when he yelled out the words, it is finished. See, that is the statement that has ultimately shut the adversary's mouth. So every time that the enemy shows up in your life, our response is, I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to have all the magical prayers, but what I can utter out is, it is finished. So when the adversary comes into my mind, or when he comes into my heart, or when he comes into my family, you've been defeated over 2,000 years ago. You have no authority in my home. You have no authority in my marriage. You have no authority with my family. You may come up looking intimidating, but you've been declawed and defanged over 2,000 years ago, and I'm resting in the finished work of Christ. And because I live a prayer life, and I walk with the aroma of Jesus, I know that it can change the atmosphere. That is what it means to be a person of prayer. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we, as we close. When we live a prayer life, it has the ability to turn with something that looks like it should destroy us into something that actually can serve us. Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 through 28. The scripture tells us how, how Darius passes another law. And he says that for now on, the God that Daniel serves, for now on, like that he is God, that he actually ends up confessing that the God that Daniel serves is indeed God. How powerful is it that a man who thought of himself as God could have this moment where he's seen someone stand for God and now he's confessing that, that God is who he is. It's a place where we can see these moments turn into testimony. You know, I'm thinking about the young lady that I saw at the store and I was thinking about how she couldn't hear me when she had her headphones on. She, could, she couldn't hear a word that I was saying. She was so dialed in. And, and, and it reminded me of, of this feature that I have on my headphones. It's, it's noise cancellation. Like, it's times where you can have the headphones in, but you can still hear all the, the noise and the chaos around, but there's a spot where you just hit the button and hold it, and it just shuts it all off. It just, it just, it just shuts it off. I, I firmly believe that when we live a life of prayer, it's, it's like noise cancellation for our spirit. It shuts down all the noise. It shuts down all the chaos. It shuts down us hearing all the negative reports from the world, and it just allows us to be tuned in to God. I believe God is calling us to be people of prayer in this season because I know there's a lot of noise that's out there. There's a lot of chaos out there. And if we don't have that, that spiritual noise cancellation feature, it'll bleed its way into our faith. It'll bleed its way into the way that we view one another. And we're finding ourselves being, being compromised by the noise of the world instead of being people who are dialed into the things of God. I want us to pray about it. Because if you don't pray about it, it will prey on you. If, if you don't pray about it, it will, it will prey on you. If I don't pray about this fear, then fear will prey on me. If I don't, 
If I don't pray about this election, then this election is going to pray on me. If I don't, if I don't pray about my family, then the, the, the dynamics of this can pray on me. The idea that God wants to introduce into our lives is that when we can be people of prayer, we pray about it to keep it from praying on us. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, And my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You see, the remedy to heal the land is to pray, is to seek after the things of God. I've read this passage in virtually 20 different translations. Spoiler alert, I haven't seen a single one yet that have said that the outcome of the election is the thing that's going to heal the land. It says that the healing that we need will be because the people who are called under the context of the kingdom pray, seek after his face, repent of the things that we have done, then we will hear from heaven, not from policies, not from politics, we'll hear from heaven, and that is ultimately what brings healing to the land. I am, I am intimately aware of what we're stepping into in this season. As for me and, and my family, we're praying for every one of us because I realize that we all have passions and convictions. I'm actually going to be fasting for the next two weeks as we prepare to enter into what I believe to be a tumultuous time. But I want us as the people of God, instead of thinking that whoever sits in whatever seat is the thing that's going to heal the land, that's incongruent with scripture. Let us be people that recognize that we are citizens of the kingdom of God and that there's nothing that the kingdom of God can't do no matter who's around, no matter who's in position. Vote your convictions, be passionate, but man, don't let that divide you and your family. Don't let that divide you from people that you've been in relationship with for years. We've got to recognize that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray constantly. Pray about everything. Bring it into the presence of God in prayer. You know, the thing that I know about when you're a citizen of another location, that a lot of times you have, you have an accent. And we know it. Like, you know that there's times where you hear from someone talk. It can even be here in the United States. I can, I can tell a New York accent when I hear it. I can tell a super Southern accent when I hear it. I can hear someone when they're from New York. There's, a, there's, a, there's an accent. You can hear it. You can hear the way that they communicate. You know, you know that they're not from here. What if, what if the people of God had an accent? That when people heard us talk, they, oh, you're, you're not from here. You're, you're one of those followers of Christ because you speak differently. I can hear it in your tone. I believe that prayer is the language of the citizens of the kingdom of God. And that people, that people should be able to hear our accent when we talk. That we shouldn't sound like everybody else, but our accent should be thick. And it allows us to stand out against a culture that is deeply divisive and broken. Prayer is the language of the citizens of the kingdom of God. Pray about it. Whatever it is, take it to God in prayer before you deal with man. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for, for your people. I thank you for the kingdom of God and the fact that we have perspective of who you are. That we recognize that prayer gives us perspective. It allows us to see you. It allows us not to lose sight of the promises of God regardless of the culture we may find ourselves in. So Lord, I pray that every one of us has an it that we need to pray about. For some of us, it's our marriages. For some of us, it's our, it's our family dynamics. It could be things with our children. It could, be our, it could be our finances. It could be a multitude of things, God. But whatever that it is, I pray for your people right now in the name of Jesus. 
that we recognize that we are citizens of the kingdom, that we can elevate our perspective and still see the promises are right in sight. God, I pray for us as we enter into this, this election season even, God, knowing the, the divide that it causes with friends and, and with family and things along those lines, God, that we don't lose sight of the fact that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we're not called to be puppets of the empire, that we can thrive here, God, but let's not lose sight of where we're from. I pray for our conversations. I pray for our interactions. I pray for, for everything that we may be facing. God, I pray about it because I don't want it to pray on us. If you're in here with us today and you know that you're away from God, and that your next step is simply to surrender your life to Jesus. It's to simply submit your life to Jesus. The next thing that you need to pray about is the condition of your soul. We truly believe that, that Jesus came, that he died, and that he was risen from the grave. And as a result of that, if we believe in that, if we anchor ourselves in that, that we then become citizens of the kingdom of God and we get to walk in freedom and wholeness, even in spite of the chaos that's around us. So if that's you, if you're in here with us and you know that your next step is to simply say yes to Jesus. If you're watching us at home and you know your next step is simply to say yes to Jesus, I would love to come alongside you and pray. If you're in here with us, on the count of three, I want you to just to boldly lift your hand up so that we can pray alongside you and give you some resources. And if you're at home, I would love to hear from you as well. If you're watching on the chat, you can communicate it then. But if not, you can definitely connect with Pastor Mike when he gives you some instructions on your next steps. But if that's you, you know that your next step is simply to surrender your life to Christ, that you're away from him right now and you know that you need to draw closer. On the count of three, I want you to boldly lift your hands up. One, two, three. Surrendering your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. For those at home, amen. We're with you. God bless you. Church, can we put our hands together for everybody that's, that's making that decision to take that next step. Here's what I want us to do now. I'm going to ask us all to stand on our feet. We're going to go back into a, a brief moment of worship to kind of seal in what we're doing. I'm going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray it with me. Um, Pastor Mike's going to come up and give us some instructions for those that, that have made that decision in our heart and to give you some resources on how we can come alongside you and equip you as you're, you're beginning this journey that I believe is the most important and powerful and transformational journey that there is. But before we go back into worship, would you mind praying this prayer with me and help, help those along who are, who are praying it for the first time? Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And it's because of that belief that I am saved. Fill me with your spirit and order my steps. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that this song is, is very fitting because it talks about how we're, we have nothing to be afraid of. And I don't know what that it is that's in your life, but you have nothing to be afraid of. Let's go into the presence of God, recognizing that, that we're no longer surrounded by the things that are trying to tear us down, but we are surrounded by the things and the love and the grace and the peace of God. Let's sing this out together as a family church. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you heard today. If you'd like more content like this, or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.